as they're going, we're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at uh, an amazing, miraculous account again here in this chapter. But, and a part of the focus is going to be on friends. We're going to see four friends who served their friend well. Uh, before we get too deep into the more serious nature of the word, um, I, I, I want to ask you, do you have good friends? Are you a true friend? You know you're a friend in need when you come to church and, and you know, something like you, you realize you don't have your belt on or something, and, it's, and you're the one speaking, and you know people will notice, and you'll feel like you have to hide behind the, the, the pulpit. You know you've got a good friend when your associate pastor whips his off and says, here, take mine. <laughs> Enrico's a good man, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, we're in Luke 5. We're working our way through this gospel record, discovering rock-solid truth for our lives. Today, we're going to look at verses 17 through 26. The title of our study is Power Prioritized. This is one of the most remarkable spiritual truths that Jesus proclaimed in all his ministry. It changes the way you and I think and live our lives. It changes us for the better if we're willing to, to heed the truth in these verses. You'll see this prioritization of power as we study. Beginning in verse 17. It says, one day he was teaching, that is Jesus, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. May God bless the reading of his remarkable word. Let's pray and then we'll study this account. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving these words for us. Thank you for the miracles Jesus performed. But we begin to see here that there was something important that he had to teach. 
Lord, would you humble us and cause us to listen very carefully to what your spirit through your word has to teach us and change in our lives today. We are the people in need of these truths. Exalt your word in our hearts. Cause us to go away from this place glorifying you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's consider the context of what we just read. Again, in verse 17. It says, one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. That's the setting. Now, if you observe, as we've worked through these first five and a half chapters, you'll know that this is the first time Jesus mentions, I'm sorry, that Luke mentions the Pharisees and the teachers of the Jewish law. As many of you know, there are two specific groups of Jewish religious leaders and influencers. And these two groups would become some of Jesus' greatest opponents during his years of public ministry. And it's not just the local religious leaders that showed up on this day. They came from all over Galilee, it says. And even as far as Judea and even Jerusalem, the city of David, the capital of Israel. You can see on the map here, it's a little bit small, but you can see Galilee is in the north, the smaller circle in red, just west of the Sea of Galilee. And this region is about 30 miles long. Then there's the regions of Samaria and Judea to the south, which are about 90 miles long in total. That's the larger portion circled in red. Jerusalem, which is toward the south there, highlighted in yellow, is about 70 miles from Capernaum. Capernaum, where Jesus is up in the north. The other gospels actually specify Capernaum. You can see it highlighted in yellow up in the top there in the Galilee region. So we have religious leaders who are traveling by foot or animal or chariot, some 70 miles just to observe this miracle-working man from Nazareth and to hear his teachings that are becoming quite popular. And today they were going to witness a miracle beyond anything they could have imagined, but tragically they couldn't actually see it. They missed the whole point of what Jesus was trying to teach them. And my prayer is that you and I will not miss the grand lesson Jesus was imparting to humanity that day. You see, Jesus prioritized the two powers he possessed. Power over the physical, power over the spiritual. We're going to explore this throughout our study. Now, we also note in the text here that it says, the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. This leads to some questions that I didn't have time to explore. If you'd like, perhaps you could do a little digging for me. Does this text indicate that the divine power to heal was something that came and went from Jesus? Or, Or could he just heal whenever he wanted to? The text seems to indicate that, it is, that this, this power came in waves as the Spirit led or as the Lord led. But is that the case? It's an interesting study. I'd love to hear your findings. 
Let's move forward for now, though, in verse 18. It says, And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, in front of Jesus. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Now, the other Gospels specify that there were a few men carrying the paralytic. How many, how many men were there carrying him? Four. This tells us that this is not just some little boy. It's not a, not, a, not a little person. It took four men to carry this man who is severely, severely crippled. And when they arrived at this house where Jesus was teaching, they had no chance of getting in through the front door. The other texts reveal that Jesus has, had been here for several days now. And word was spreading, this is where you can find Jesus. These men had no chance of getting their friend to Jesus through that front door. But as they say, where there's a will, there is most likely a way. But before we consider their rooftop entrance, I want you to consider how crowded it may have been that day. This is important because it appreciates our, our, our interpretation Excuse me, it impacts our appreciation of how we interpret this text. It impacts our appreciation of what actually happened here, particularly the extent to which these men went to actually get their friend into the presence of Jesus. Remember that line as we study through the text. Now remember, Jesus' reputation has already gone before him. As we looked at last week, a leper was just healed. A man covered in leprosy was just miraculously, instantly healed. And before that, a miraculous catch of fish occurred that Jesus commanded to happen at the most unusual time of day and in some of the most unusual parts of the sea. Before that, Peter's mother-in-law was healed, we see. Chapter 4, verse 40 says, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. My goodness, the entire country has likely heard of this man Jesus by now. No wonder some of the most elite religious leaders in Jerusalem were present in Capernaum on this day. And think about this. What was everyone else there most likely there for? Healing. Drop yourself into this situation for a second. If you or someone you know and love had a serious, chronic, or even terminal illness, and you knew that there was a genuine healer in a town near you, how far would you be willing to travel for even a chance at a healing? Would you go for an hour? Two? Would you travel for 10? Would you go 70 miles on foot or a donkey? At an average walking pace of three miles per hour, that's almost 24 hours of walking. The question is, who wouldn't try to be there that day? It's very possible that there was a multitude of people present, hundreds, 
maybe several hundred or more. And here we've got a man with palsy carried by four friends on his mat, and they can't even get close to the entrance of the house. The text says there was no way. But look at the determination and faith of this team of five. They found a way up on top of the house. Many of these homes had a set of stairs that would have led up there. And they literally tore open the roof. The Gospel of Mark says they dug an opening. Now, roofs in this locale in Bible times were often made of beams with thick branches that were crisscrossed over the beams and several inches of mud packed in on top. These guys were so determined to get their friend to Jesus that they went on top of the house with him and dug through the roof. They broke through the roof. Pause for just a quick moment of applicational thought. Are you that kind of Christian friend? Am I that kind of Christian friend? How long will we pray for others who need Jesus? How long will we suffer unjustly to show them the love and the truth and the hope of Christ? My church family, I need more friends like that. You need more friends like that. We all have this need. The lost need more believing friends like that. Friends who will do just about anything to help bring us face to face with Christ. To help us find his, his healing and comfort. His truth, his strength. Of course, there, there are a thousand ways we can demonstrate that kind of helping faith, sharing faith. Maybe it's to join the Child Evangelism Fellowship team with Liesl. Have you stopped to ponder what we're talking about with this incredible mission work? That we as a church family can go into a local public school and proclaim Jesus Christ every single week of the school year. I mean, who isn't complaining about the direction of the public education system? I mean, this is a given. But are we doing something? Are we this kind of friend to those children, many of whom don't even know they are lost? Church family, when we get to heaven, we are going to give account to God for the open door he presented to us into the public school system in our community. This is an incredible mission opportunity. I hope 10 or 15 will sign up so that we can go not just into one school, but two or three or more. There is funding there for almost three schools, I believe, right now. Praise God for the giving that happened last Sunday and through to today. And the annual program is funded for, for near three schools. Let us take advantage of this opportunity to be this kind of friend for those children and their families. Maybe this kind of friend is the person who, who will serve in the nursery so that especially young moms who come here can draw closer to God. That's an incredible ministry. Maybe it's praying for a family member and being willing, again, to suffer long, 
so that we can keep pointing them to Christ. You see, it's the first part of verse 20 that grabs my attention and has grabbed it for years. It says, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. When you and I stand before God someday, how many other people will also be in the presence of their Redeemer saying, it was because of his faith that I found Christ. It was her faith that carried me to Christ so I could believe in him and be saved myself. There are a lot of things that you and I can aim for in life. There are a lot of noble goals. But few rise to the value and the reward of being a faithful friend who often sacrificially goes the extra mile to bring others to Christ. I can't tell you how grateful to God I am because Sunday through Saturday, I see people serving like this in the church family. Thank you for sacrificially laboring in the most tangible and spiritual of ways to help bring others to Christ. I cannot thank you enough. That's the kind of sacrifice that leads to miracles as we see in this text. But back to this historical account. These guys have just ripped open the roof on this house, lowered their friend into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And verse 20 says, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. You probably could have heard a pin drop at that moment. Nobody saw those words coming. Imagine being the paralytic and Jesus just said to you, your sins are forgiven. I mean, how would you respond to such words? After a few moments, you could just imagine the whispers in the house. Did he just say what I thought he said? Did he forgive that man's sins? I'll put another unique study question out to you. It's in the bulletin, something for you to consider this week. How could Jesus forgive sins when he has not yet died on the cross and paid the penalty for them? Isn't that an interesting question? And be aware that Jesus says the same thing in chapter 7 to an immoral woman who weepingly poured perfume on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. He compassionately said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Can't wait to get to that chapter. But how can Jesus forgive sins when he has not yet paid the penalty for them with his own shed blood? Again, I'll let you dig into it. Let me know what you find. And here's a quick clue. Hebrews 9.15. If you're taking notes, write that down. Hebrews 9.15. But for now, continuing in verse 21, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins have been forgiven you or to say, Get up and walk? Jesus is such a masterful teacher, isn't he? 
It's as though he set up this whole learning encounter. And undoubtedly, knowing that they would respond negatively to his claim to forgive sins, he asks, which is easier, to say your sins have been forgiven you or to say, get up and walk? Now, of course, when you think about this for a moment, the the answer is obvious. It's self-evident. It's easier to say your sins have been forgiven you because no one in the room can prove you wrong. But if you say get up and walk, everybody's going to know if it worked or not. Here's the main focal point of our study this morning, verse 24. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Again, I have to assume that you could have just heard a pin drop in that room. Everyone's brains must have been hurting, trying to wrap their minds around what just happened. What in the world did we just see? He not only heals, he forgives sins too. The Pharisees, even some of the more prominent ones from Jerusalem, were facing the greatest challenge of their life. Jesus publicly read their minds and instructed them. He instructed them in one of the most significant spiritual truths of all time, and that is the source of forgiveness. He told them, he taught them that he was the Holy One who could make them holy. And then he performed an irrefutable, life-changing miracle to authenticate his claim. As we're going to see as we continue throughout this gospel record, these religious leaders missed the lesson. They missed the main point. They got it all wrong. You and I had better be careful because most of humanity is still getting it wrong today. Here's perhaps the key question of the text. Why did Jesus perform miracles? Particularly healing miracles. Was it so that people could feel better? Was it so that they could be relieved of their terrible physical pains? No. At least not primarily. Jesus clearly identifies the main purpose for his miracles right here in verse 24. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus, the Son of Man, not only has authority, he has this specific authority. And the healing miracles point to this specific authority. You see, he is not just powerful. He is powerful over sin, over your sins and my sins. That's why this account is so personal. That's why it's so life-changing. There is no sin you can commit 
that God is unable to forgive other than blasphemy of, uh, against his spirit. The refusal to believe, to repent. No matter what we've done, Jesus has the power. In this very moment, Jesus prioritized his powers. My church family, we have to recognize this priority as well. Jesus is not so concerned about what happens to our bodies as he is our souls. If you're a follower of Christ, may I humbly ask, can everyone around you tell that you are more concerned about your soul than your body? More concerned about your spiritual state than your physical well-being? More concerned about your spiritual wealth than the financial? Is the testimony of our life choices affirming the state of our heart that we are more concerned with our spiritual eternal well-being than we are the physical and temporal? If not, then it is very likely we are living like Pharisees. If we rejoice more over God's relief of our physical needs than his relief of our spiritual needs, then we've missed the lesson in Luke 5. If we pray more passionately for physical needs than we do spiritual needs, then perhaps we've missed the point of the paralytic's healing if we find greater satisfaction and fulfillment and peace and safety in physical strength over the spiritual, then we need to take a fresh, faith-based, Jesus-taught look at the account of this crippled man. Remember, every person Jesus physically healed was still going to die very soon. The infinitely more important matter was whether they were spiritually healed. You see, this perspective of prioritization is really a guide and a test of our spiritual awareness and maturity. If we read this account and we are more impressed, more amazed by the fact that this severely crippled man immediately got up, picked up his bed, and walked out. If we are more impressed at that than the five words in verse 20, then we need to go back to the drawing board of our faith in the word so we can be further transformed by the renewing of our mind. The mind-blowing, awe-inspiring miracle is what it happened in verse 20 when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Friends, if you're a child of God, redeemed and adopted by the Almighty, forgiven and cleansed, washed clean by the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, forever imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ as your attire, 
then pause with me this morning to set aside every physical ailment, every physical temporal suffering, and rejoice in your salvation. Jesus healed that paralytic so you would know you were forgiven. That miracle helps give me confidence and proper prioritization in my salvation and the one who saved me. He has the power. Son of man and son of God, he alone wields the authority over sin and death. And yes, my brothers and sisters in Christ, take hope even in physical suffering because you will be healed because you have been healed. You follow me on that? You will be physically healed because you have been spiritually healed. You will be healed physically in God's due time. Perhaps when you step into his presence, but won't that make that step all the more precious? Perhaps when you step into his presence, but you will nonetheless be healed because you have already been spiritually healed. There is no hope like the hope of Jesus Christ. My prayer for every one of us is that we will walk away today just like we see in the next verse. Verse 26. It says, they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear saying, we have seen remarkable things today. May every one of us walk away like that from this place today. Not because God took our sickness away or healed us of our injury or made a lame man to walk, but because he washed us white as snow. Oh, the glory of our healing in Christ Jesus. Believer, your sins have been forgiven you. Go and live for God. Glorify him in all you do. I love that we get to observe communion this morning. I'm gonna invite the men to go ahead and gather the, um, the elements. And they can, men, you can come right out and go ahead and serve those. If everyone, please hold on to the bread and the cup until after I pray in just a couple minutes. Communion is one of the most spiritual and sacred acts of remembrance we can do as Christ followers. As believers in him alone, as our King of kings and Lord of lords. If you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're not a follower, a believer, if you have not been born again, then I ask that you would please just simply pass the plate by out of respect for this sacred ordinance until you understand what it means. This is something that is very holy to God and to his church. Now that said, if you are thinking this morning, I want to know more about this Jesus who can forgive my sins like the Bible says. If you are thinking that, then I welcome you to come straight up to me after this service or go to just about anyone here 
And just ask them, how can I be healed? How can I be forgiven like that man in the Bible? We will open the word of God with you so you can read it for yourselves. We will show you verses like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Christian friend, never go, grow weary of those words. We'll show you verses like Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When the Bible says you will be saved, it means you will be forgiven. You will be forgiven of all your sins. You will be rescued from hell. The punishment, the due and just punishment of sin. This is the gospel. And friends, based on the word of God, I invite you to be spiritually healed today if you have never been healed. Open God's word, read it for yourself, and believe. Oh, how precious are the words from the prophet Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. For the many here who have already received that abundant pardon from God... We've already made this decision to put our faith, our trust, our love in Jesus Christ. Then you understand that we do this communion in remembrance of him because we have been healed, spiritually healed. And in the big scheme of eternity, that is relatively all that matters in this life. This is not to make light of our temporary physical suffering. It's to put it in its right and proper and biblical perspective, its rightful priority. The healing that really counts is already ours, amen? How we praise God for that. When we partake of communion, it of course is absolutely essential that we remember Christ's suffering for us on our behalf. It's re required that we remember the price he paid, his shed blood, his broken body. We should weep over and be moved by the pain he physically and spiritually suffered for us. But Christian friend, communion doesn't stop there, does it? We also remember that by his stripes we are healed and by his conquering grace we are more and more sanctified in this life. And when we gather in this place with these elements before us like this, and we know that we have been spiritually healed once and for all, and we know that we are daily being sanctified, that is set apart, we are growing in our love and our faith and our obedience to Christ, we then, like this healed paralytic, have cause to go on our way glorifying God, rejoicing in Christ Jesus. 
Let me read 1 Corinthians 11 and then pray. And then you're welcome to partake of the elements whenever you're ready. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, isn't that a, remar a remarkable statement? In the night he was betrayed, knowing he was about to die, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, it is with humbled and yet exalted hearts that we remember Jesus Christ. The suffering he endured so that we might spiritually be healed. Lord, we say thank you. Our hearts are just moved in gratitude to worship you. Lord, we think of this paralytic man who not only got up and walked, but he was forgiven of his sins. Whether or not you heal our physical ailments and relieve us of some of the very, very heavy trials of this life, we affirm today and we choose to prioritize according to the authority of your word and the miracles Jesus performed, we choose to rejoice in our salvation and to trust you in our suffering. You are good and you do good. Lord, teach us your statutes. We remember you this day. We rejoice in our salvation and we purpose to go from this place glorifying you. And all God's people said, amen.